1: finance smarter. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some
0: of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb
1: while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think. And you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host because your home is might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm
2: John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points, and in goes. But as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're discussing horrendous investing advice, hot dogs, and ADUs, FTW for the win.
1: Nice pronunciation of the hot dog, you said the hot. Part right, you, you didn't say the the dog. Part right, but I'm, I'm very cultured. We uh, we are going to get to that story, a pets story. We don't talk about pets enough here on the show, even though you've got you've got a couple cats still. Yeah. I, uh, I don't have any pets. So the other day, we
0: came back from our, our little mountain visit last weekend, Emily and I. Have they, and had they escaped? One of the cats really was not not uh, escaped. Okay. Was in the crawl space, and she had found this one random spot to, <laughs> and she couldn't get out, and so she was in there probably for like 36 hours or something. Like shut that. up and Wait, uh, she's so
1: fine all is fine from your main space she found her way in through like into oh. the crawl
0: space how the heck well I think Emily th- accidentally didn't lock the door and so they can pry anything open if no. it's if it's not completely locked shut so you got home there's a bunch of <laughs> meow. yeah
1: so we're going <laughs> to offer good. animal money advice even though yeah. I'm probably not the best <laughs> person to take it from you not know, the best cat dad out there. Uh, <laughs> by the way, real quick, I wanted to share. So I just uh, had a meeting this morning, a meeting that was maybe like 15, 20 minutes away. I told Kate yesterday and she's like, uh, sorry, I'm tied up all day. I need the van. And so because we are a one car family, what that meant was that for a simple task, something, you know, you just you, all the time you run around, you run errands, you just hop in the car and you go, you don't think about it. But in this case, this meant that I needed to hail a ride sharing service. And there's two reasons I wanted to bring this up. First of all, I look back at my history of how often I have used, in this case, Uber and... I hadn't used it at all this year. And so I wanted to share that because oftentimes folks are like, well, how do you get around? Like if your wife needs to be somewhere and you need to be somewhere as well. Well, that doesn't happen as often as you might think. And we had included room in our budget to handle these kind of expenses. But the reality is for us, it doesn't happen all that often. Obviously, we've designed our life to, to where I can ride my bike to most places I need to go on a daily basis. Being a one car family is not as bad as you might think. And B, another tip as well, always make sure that you check uh, between both apps or whatever apps you have, wherever it is that you that you live, because I pulled it up on Uber, something like 15, 16 bucks, uh, pulled it up on Lyft, dude, it was 32 $33 Ooh. for the exact... <laughs> same ride double the price man yeah
0: yeah it's it's amazing it's like crazy you never know which one's going to be cheaper and, so you got to look
1: at it both just depends i guess on whoever it it makes me think of like online banks cuz folks are always like oh should i should i switch just to get a slightly higher rate and it's like well for a slightly higher percentage it's kind of a big deal just to optimize in that small slight way and the thing is is there's no guarantee that you will continue to get the best rate right whereas when you book a book a ride it's like i know that this is going to be half the 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 expenses the other one so uh Obviously, you most definitely want to shop it around, and it's worth checking.
0: Yeah, just be logged into both apps and check them both before you need a ride somewhere, because the differences can be stark in the cost yeah. of that ride, and you can save a boatload of money. I, I feel like I found that more. You would think that these would, they would just be a buck or two off. That these apps would be a little more in sync with each other when it comes to the cost that you're paying. I
1: it, I, I don't know why I think that, but <laughs> I well, just because of efficient markets. Yeah, I mean, like that's what basically that's why you would think that. Okay, if uh, uh, Lyft is showing that it's going to be way more expensive. You would think that more f- drivers, I guess, would sign up or would switch over because a lot of them r- drive for both of the different yeah. apps. that they go get they would more over there. they hop on over because there's more of a demand there. But I and guess that it would even
0: out pretty quickly. But yeah, it, the reality yeah. is, for some reason, the price disparity can still be stark. It's really interesting. And so you got to shop every single time you're getting a ride, <laughs> which, which is
1: fine. You just kind of yeah, takes no time. The apps that make it easy. But, but you, you can save big money. So. Yeah, so definitely check both. And again, I just wanted to, to share that, though, because, man, it is... I, I think being a one-car family, it is way more doable than a lot of people think. In particular, Mm -hmm. if one of you has a very... Predictable commute, very predictable, you know, for me to come in here, like, you know, you, you ride your bike over as well. We just talked about bikes actually earlier this week. Yeah.
0: Well, and as we've said before too, with more and more people working from home than ever before or hybrid working, like That's not having going to go into the office as much, need
1: to consider, it's more
0: doable than yeah. it was even five years ago, right? To become a one car family, if even if you're a family of four or five, like totally. it's just, it's easier now than it's ever been. But uh, let's move on. Let's get to our Friday flight, a sampling let's of stories it. we found interesting this. Week there's a lot to talk about. We will get to inflation as well because we got those numbers just yesterday. And you know, we talked about uh, we've talked about our love for ADUs, Matt, or accessory dwelling units, mm-hmm. since the inception of this podcast. Let's maybe start with a story on that front.
1: Yeah, it literally, it was I think like episode two or three that yeah. we talked about. In your case, you're thinking about getting an airstream in, in the backyard. backyard. I was right. thinking about finishing out the basement, uh, which I we actually did end up doing. Renting it out on Airbnb. Yeah. And so we took it over because that's where we used to record. So we have, we have always, pour loved, out for the old basement. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we have always loved that
0: idea, though, that it, it can, it can be a great way to get into the rental property game. But the truth is, ADUs are becoming more popular all around the country as mm-hmm. more municipalities, more cities are legalizing the building of, of these things. And so the Atlantic had a great article about this phenomenon just the other day. Apparently, more than 60,000. ADUs have been built in California since the law was changed there just six years ago. And as we all know, housing costs more these days, um, whether you're renting or buying, that's uh, actually part of why the inflation numbers are still so high, is it the cost of housing remains remains pretty expensive. And, and even though we're starting to see more price cuts for buyers and for renters out there, there's still just like this massive lack of housing supply, which is going to prevent prices from falling as much as a lot of folks would like to see. Right. And w- w- what's the answer to the problem? Of more expensive housing well when we're talking basic economics the the short simplest answer is Creating more supply and making ADUs legal in more places across the country and easier to permit at the same time as it is at least one of those ways in which we'll be able to stabilize prices. I would say for for future home buyers and renters, I'm glad to see more people in California adopting uh, jumping on the ADU bandwagon, and I hope this just becomes more commonplace in, in the years to come.
1: Yeah, dude, I want to reiterate that 60,000 new residences for folks who are looking to to get get their own place. That's
0: meaningful. Like- additional supply
1: serious number of new housing units Uh, and even though i think there can be a criticism of them of them though because oftentimes they do tend to be a little bit smaller but there's a ripple effect right because you've get you got somebody who's looking to get into their their first place or somebody who's looking to downsize or something like that well that then frees up another unit that they would have otherwise considered maybe a one bedroom or two bedroom right or like an apartment or even a small house that then that unit is now available for the next family and well and and there have been a lot of documentation recently of. the lack of
0: starter homes available, like smaller sub fourteen hundred foot square square foot homes, and so be- because of that, like the, you're, the, it's true mm-hmm. that the the homes that are being built are are typically larger, and so ADUs are typically smaller, filling a void I think that does exist.
1: Yeah, I just love that. In theory, at least, there's this ripple effect, and hopefully that will at least keep housing prices in check. Uh, and I think the best line from that article was that, in short. Merely legalizing ADUs triggered a boom in affordable housing at no cost to the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. Man, just a slam dunk decision, in our opinion, because increasing density, that means building more units for people to live and creating more supply. That is going to go a long way towards increasing affordability. Uh, And, you know, kind of like you teased to just just a second ago, Joel, the other cool thing about ADUs, not from a a rental standpoint, uh, but from a landlording standpoint, is that they can be a great way to get your feet wet as a real estate investor. And so if you don't feel like you're ready to buy an additional single family home or even a multifamily, to rent out to prospective tenants. Well, building a, a unit in your own backyard that could be the perfect fit. And a potentially profitable endeavor as well. You just need to make sure you run the numbers. You didn't need to know what it's gonna cost to build, what you'll be able to rent it for, and obviously whether or not it's actually legal.
0: Yeah. And you have to be able to increase your cash flow every single month. An ADU can be a great way to do that. It can get you into the real estate game. Well speaking of real estate Matt, let's talk about house flipping for a second because that is, of course, one of the riskier ways to make money in the housing market. Uh, But yeah, and whether or not you make money in that business often has to do not just with how good you are at doing it, but what's happening in the market as a whole, because it is a shorter term endeavor. Uh, The market conditions have a major impact on whether or not you make money. And it wasn't nearly as difficult to look like a genius home flipper in 2020 and 2021 but it's much harder <laughs> to do the same thing in 2022 as the market kind of stalls out in a big way and i buying service open door they found that out the hard way uh, they recently announced that they lost money on 42 percent of the homes they listed for resale in August that's quite the hit yeah exactly they're not going to remain profitable or be profitable <laughs> at all if, if this stays if this continues mm-hmm. and w- whether or not these tech first real estate companies are going to be successful in the long run is is anyone's guess but what I took away from seeing these numbers is that we've entered a really tricky time when it comes to making money in real estate you know a lot of individual flippers are finding themselves in a game of like musical chairs where they're kind of the ones left standing they're left holding the bag if they bought the house they put a lot of money in hoping that the wind would continue to be at their back but as uh, home prices are moderating or even declining in some areas they're finding themselves in a tricky position. Yep. And uh, the least risky way we would say to pursue real estate investing is to think long-term. Uh, the stakes are high. If you're trying to make money quickly via a strategy of flipping, you could lose a big pile of money. And I think we've always tried to temper people's enthusiasm when it comes to to flipping houses. Totally. Because yeah, you, you can uh, do well investing in that way, but there's a whole lot more risk at the same there's,
1: time. There's a whole lot more risk. And obviously, with more risk, oftentimes comes more reward. But you have to... Uh, plan for that additional risk, right? You, like yeah. that needs to be built into your calculations. You can't just assume, like you said, that the wind is always going to be at your back. Uh, and if the winds shift just a little bit, that you're totally up the creek without a paddle. Uh, we need more margin in our lives. And I think oftentimes, like what you see our business, not just businesses, but individuals trying to optimize their lives to where every single dollar, where they're squeezing as much value as they possibly can from it. But what we sometimes need is a little bit more margin. Uh, and so, when it, I mean, when it comes to our personal finances, you might be hearing this and you're like, well, I'm not going to flip a house. Well, what that means, though, with your savings account and your checking account is having a little bit more cash set aside to absorb some of those, some of those shocks. Yeah. Uh, and a big reason that we're seeing turmoil, you know, in what was this red hot housing market is, of course, the soaring mortgage rates that everyone's been seeing tick up they've skyrocketed north of 7% at this at this point which is a far cry from the 3% rates Folks were seeing just a year ago. I have a friend, by the way, who has a
0: 15-year mortgage that's under two percent, <laughs> and I'm just like, "You're, you're, you're awesome! Congratulations! You're you win!"
1: And also, don't don't pay that one off uh, early <laughs> ever. Uh, yeah, these these massively increased costs of borrowing, like they will shift a market pretty quickly. And although this might be helpful for perspective, we're still a ways off uh, from what listener Lilium shared in our Facebook group: her 30-year mortgage rate in 1985, was just shy of 12%. <laughs> Could you imagine paying 12%? No. Uh, After 12% mortgage? Uh, there's another listener as well, Glenn. He mentioned that he had a mortgage rate of 15.5%. Dude, this is back in 1981, uh, not surprisingly. Uh, but we wanted to, to mention this because... Mortgage rates are having a significant impact on what it is that folks could afford, right? So a year ago, if you had a three percent mortgage, let's say you could afford a three thousand dollar monthly payment, that means that you could have had a loan out on a property that was in the seven hundred fifty thousand dollar range. Today, if you are getting a, a new mortgage at some at seven percent, and you are still basically limiting yourself to that same three thousand dollar payment a month, that means you can only afford uh, a home with a four hundred fifty thousand dollar loan. Yeah. So that there, there's a there's a massive difference. In the type of property and what it is that you can you can spend these days. Yeah, and I got to say, by the way, I, we don't expect
0: mortgage rates to stay in this stratosphere forever. We do think they'll go down, but it's uh, who knows how long it's going to be. It could be two years uh, until we see mortgage rates back down anywhere close to where they were. And yeah. Yeah. And so you you could be 20 years. Like, I mean, it it could be
1: unlikely. We, I mean, fingers crossed. Holy crap. Like that'd be insane, but you never know.
0: Yeah. And so you can't plan on refinancing a short 12 months and lowering your rate by a couple points. Uh, You have to be able to afford that mortgage in the meantime, if you're going to buy a house. Well, Matt, let's talk about uh, inflation for a second, because the CPI numbers came out uh, just yesterday morning they weren't good. (laughs) Inflation is still a major problem. And uh, food and housing costs being kind of those main culprits. So... We're going to see Fed rate hikes continue in all likelihood. That's, we
1: that's right talked
0: about that what last week <laughs> on the show. Ago, and how there the, goes
1: my whole theory. I was thinking that the Fed might slow down a little bit, but based on the recent doesn't inflation look like numbers, it. I, I was thinking although there are
0: a lot of people out there crying uncle, especially people uh, the stock market investor types who they don't want to see like any more pain. But open letters and whatnot, right, right? We're, we're
1: likely <laughs> to see more of it. Right? Yeah, I'm not expecting a half a percent increase. I'm I'm sure it'll be the three quarters percent that's,
0: increase. That'd be my guess too. Well, the best medium term savings to combat inflation in, in all of our lives is still I-bonds. That's they, true. they pay higher rates than anything else you can find in the market right now. But even though inflation is still high, those rates are actually about to go down just a little bit, which means that I-bonds aren't going to be quite as good of a deal
1: as they have been. That's right. Yeah, the current rate is 9.62%, but that's going to reset on November 1st. And so the way it works is that the rate, it shifts every six months, based on the CPI. And so that rate, it's likely to shift downward to around six and a half percent. And so the the takeaway here, like you might be wondering, like, does this mean it's time to, you know, is it time to give up buying I-bonds? Well, you know, like they are not for everyone. We, we think that they do make the most sense for folks who have uh, some medium term savings goals. But what this does mean is that if you're interested in buying IBonds, that you should do this before the rate changes on November 1st. Because what that means is you'll get that 9.62% for a full six months. Even if you buy at the very tail end, as long as you get that purchase in before the cutoff, and so we'll link to the Fed website where you can buy those I bonds. Um, and you know, keep in mind, there's a reason that we're not dumping all of our money into the I bonds because there's a cap. Yeah, we can't $10,000 a year per person. Uh, although there uh, there is a bill that's been uh, introduced attempting to raise that limit to $30,000 uh, in some instances. And if that does happen, uh, if that actually passes, we'll definitely keep you informed. For sure. And, and by the way, the treasurydirect.gov, Matt, just got a facelift. At least
0: the front landing page. Oh, no way. It doesn't look like I a haven't complete at disaster it zone anymore, which is good. <laughs> so uh, I think the back end still, it's still kind of Microsoft Dossy looking. It's it's pretty horrendous. Hard to log in, all that stuff. And just generally uh, abysmal web design. But the front page at least looks kind of snazzy. Uh, and Very so, nice. Yeah, good, good on the feds. For, I haven't
1: personally been there since that earlier this
0: year. Yeah, I'll I know. Check it out. I bought mine in December. Literally, I was looking back. December 31st and January. Third, yep. <laughs> I bought I bonds, uh, maxing out my allotment. It was a good time to buy. It was a good time to buy, but just, people can still get the the nine point six two, and then st- if it's six and a half, that that blended uh, interest rate is going to be pretty strong for yeah. medium term savings. And it's still seven a,
1: to eight percent range. Yeah, still a good place to turn, even though it's not Annually. quite as attractive as it was. Totally. Well, add that to your to do list though before you reach the end of the month. That's right. Before, before yes. Halloween, make sure you buy I bonds. If you're if you've been thinking this is something I need to do, knock it out, make it happen for sure. All right, let's get to a few more headlines and how they apply to your finances. We've got more stories to get to, including
0: one about politics and money. We usually try to avoid politics, but we feel compelled to talk about it, at least for a little bit. We'll get to that and more right after this.
1: Joel, I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with, uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. thirty-seven thousand, twenty-five, 25, and 1. That's right, yeah. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which
0: have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. There's a lot of power in
1: the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. <laughs> Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me.
0: Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you
1: deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust & Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust & Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash how to money. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. All right, man, we're back. It's, uh, we're going to tackle the second half now of our Friday flight. And before we get to that money and politics story... And not the uh, not the campaign finance reform type of story, but it's you know similar kind of deal. How how much should your personal politics influence what you do with your money? Exactly how that should affect your portfolio. Uh, Before we get to that, we've got our ludicrous headline of the week, and this creative, fun headline comes from the LA Times, and it reads "Hot Dog." They had it in parentheses, (laughs) cuisine. Uh, San Francisco offers a $75 tasting menu for canines. And, you know... The kitties feel left out over here, Matt. <laughs> hey, kitties already have their, like, what, the kitty cafes where you sit there and you drink your coffee and the cats get to, like, hang out or whatever. That's where you going to, like, adopt them, though, I think. And oh, you drink coffee, yeah. Oh, well, it's not for the cats. I, I've never been. I'm, you're the cat owner No, but here... Not, here not, th- not this this one, place is for dogs. And
0: they have... Dogguccinos.
1: Yeah, I mean, like we don't want to hate on on pet owners out there. Uh, Joel, like you and I, we both had dogs in the past. And while we had our dogs, we weren't feeding them like the cheapest crap food that existed. But we certainly weren't taking them to fancy fancy restaurants either. Folks are dropping a lot of money on their dogs to go out to eat. Uh, and it also makes sense that this expensive dog eatery, Dog, that it launched out in San Francisco. You say it like Vogue. Yeah. Like Vogue Megan, this Dog, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and the clientele for a place like this, you know, they're likely going to live in a, a wealthier urban city. But hopefully, this does not become a trend because like you said dogachinos like these things start at five dollars a pop here uh, and you can even splurge for a 75 dollar three course meal for your pooch if you like joel that's like more than what kate and i spend when we go oh, out yeah on, on, oh my god <laughs> and there's two of us and we're humans i'm by expecting the way. at least a five course menu for 75 yeah please come on and but on the other hand, what this makes me think is because you think, well, dogs can't tell like animals can't tell what they're they're just, you know, my dog eats poop like he sees like cat poop on the sidewalk and just like <laughs> or chows out on their that. own vomit sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it does make me think of um, did you remember the story of the penguins out in Japan and the cost of fish was going through the roof? And so the zoo, they switched to a more affordable uh, oh, fish. Yeah. And the penguins basically went on a hunger strike. Like they stopped <laughs> eating because they're like, no, 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 no. I want the good stuff, give me the good fish. And so animals, I mean, they can tell, but hopefully, and so I say that because I don't want, like I'm not gonna yuck on your yum. If you've got a dog and you wanna go do this maybe once, like maybe once a year for like their birthday or something like that, you wanna go buy them a little special treat and take a picture, throw it up on the gram then I think that's fine. But hopefully this does not become normal. You know, yeah. like, like we're not trying to normalize this. This is sort of like a special occasion. And if spending a lot of money on your dog is your craft beer equivalent, that I can be okay with.
0: Yeah, I think the thing is just we as individuals, we don't want to get accustomed to living too highfalutin of a life and spending too much money on things. Getting accustomed, you're right. Like we get, start to get accustomed to things pretty quickly and I sounds like animals do too, right? They start to get used to a certain sort of diet, yeah. a certain sort of taste, and then you try to cut back, save a little bit of money, and they're like, "No, no, 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 not so fast. You got me used to the high life now, and you better start uh, you better continue to splurge mm-hmm. for the good food or for the fancy restaurant or whatever it is." Like we all, it's like that hedonic Adaptation that happens to all of us—that scientific term where we just quickly get used to those nicer th- things and we feel deprived once they're cut out of our lives—and so I think, yeah, you're right. If this is a, a once-a-year splurge, that's okay. If this is a regular occurrence, if you're uh, treating your dog to fancy treats, like they're going to get used to it and they're going to be pissed when you when you stop feeding them the fancy three-course, you know, r- ridiculously expensive meals. That's
1: right. We're not the only ones susceptible to that lifestyle. Yes, that's our too. that's
0: <laughs> our too. So, all right, uh, yeah, uh, let's let's get to talking about investing for a second, Matt, because listener Derek. He sent us this article, which came from MarketWatch. And uh, I'm going to read the headline of on this one because it, it reads, Young people shouldn't save for retirement. And yeah. this, this definitely caught our attention because it goes against everything that we've been saying for years, Matt. If this is true, maybe it's time for us to like hang up our microphones and quit podcasting. We done. Yeah. yeah. If, but I don't know. Before we call it quits, let's maybe... Uh, dive a little bit deeper into the story. because To top it off, by the way, this comes from research done by Nobel Prize winning economists. You and I, we've never been up for a Nobel Prize. We likely never will be. I can't imagine what circumstances it would take. You speak for yourself. (laughs) Maybe you will be. (laughs) But let's get to the rub of this theory. Basically, some economists think that folks should strive for a consistent standard of living throughout their lives. That's how they put it. Mm -hmm. And that involves, and here's the their economic turn for it, smoothing out your consumption. That will, of course, mean taking on more debt when you're younger and waiting to invest until you're closer to your peak earning years. And so, what they're trying to say is that folks who are who are earlier on in their lives, they shouldn't be quite as focused on the future, because it won't be too long before the higher earning years come around, and they can increase their savings at that point. Yeah, worry about it tomorrow. Exactly. Just hit the
1: snooze button but, on saving and investing. Right.
0: <laughs> of course, we're not fans of that. And yes, even though yeah. these are Nobel-winning economists here, we remain
1: unconvinced. Yeah, I mean, a part of their argument, right, was that, hey... $1,000 to somebody who's broke or who's just, you know, like at their first job, like that's a lot of money. But if you're making 100, 200 Gs, what's a thousand bucks? It's nothing. I mean, yes, I agree. I'm not going to argue that point. But when it comes to saving for retirement, especially with like work-sponsored retirement accounts, we're talking about percentages, right? And so for somebody who's like making 35 dollars $40,000 a year, like even if you can get them investing 1% of their income, we're only talking about 350 bucks or 400 bucks mm-hmm. a year. That is not, that, that's a sign-up bonus with a credit card. Like that is not that much money. But on the other hand, you know, like I see what they're getting at. Cause if you front load the sacrifice too much where you're eating rice and beans every single night, because you are attempting to invest like over 30% of your income or something, um, on a small post college salary, like that is going to be a tough way to live. But it's also true that the longer you wait to invest, the more that you're going to need to set aside with every future paycheck that you receive. Whereas the earlier you begin, the easier it's going to be to get that wealth snowball rolling downhill. And Jim Dolly, he's got a fantastic site, the uh, White Coat Investor. Not surprisingly, he writes to uh, physicians, folks who are in the medical industry, doctors. But he tells his readers to live like a resident, even when they become attending physicians. A lot of times, you can fall into that mindset. It's lifestyle creep, basically, right? Like you think, oh, now that I'm a doctor, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and get that, that, that BMW. Yeah. Whatever it is, you're going to drop the big money on the things that you feel like are associated with being a legit doctor. The paycheck shoots up and so does your lifestyle instantaneously. But what about all those student loans? What that's about right. all that debt that you've got? Um, and so to maintain that, that resident lifestyle, we think that's great advice uh, because there's a difference between living so frugally that life is pleasureless. And the truth, though, that you can positively impact your financial future by prioritizing future you, even when you're young and even when your income is smaller. Uh, There's also just the, the fact that you're building... Habits all along the way uh, to make that easier down the road as well. So just keep that in mind. There's always trade-offs in life, but it truly doesn't have to be an either-or scenario. Uh, we think that if you just take this approach, you know, too far, th- like it can be too much of a gamble. Basically, you're just rolling the dice, counting on you know a higher income and the ability to invest more way down the road when you could at least be getting started right now. Yeah, this is one of those things that that makes sense in an economic
0: paper in a white paper. It it's it sounds good when economists are yakking it up or something at some fancy university. But when it comes to the reality of everyday life, we're not guaranteed massive incomes in our middle earning years. And like I look back to my parents. Matt, My dad lost his middle management job right when we were about my kid's age. and Right when maybe
1: somebody in his position would have expected to start hitting some of those higher paying. Exactly. And so
0: it would have been great (laughs) if he had been saving more and investing more in those early years instead of people kept telling him, well, you're going to earn more. Of course, you're going to earn more down the road, like buy that bigger house, like it's okay." And that is the kind of advice that these economists might say, like smooth out your consumption, but you're not promised that higher paying jobs Tomorrow, and so that's only
1: looking at the income side of things as well, right? Because they're also assuming that like what they're saying is to peg your consumption, peg your expenses at a fixed amount and just stick with that the whole rest of your life. Well, that's not how people behave, yeah. right? I mean, like and we're expenses not, do go up. The expenses go them. up and we're not robots. It's difficult, I think, for anybody out there in a, from a realistic standpoint to say, OK, I'm going to immediately start living this kind of lifestyle and then just maintain that. No, like somebody who's used to a certain kind of lifestyle, they're definitely not going to scale back. But you're also discounting the ability for some of that lifestyle creep to, you know, to start finding their way into their personal finances where it's affecting their budget. Yeah, and one last thing that goes against,
0: I would say, this this philosophy of consumption smoothing is that if you're not supposed to be investing very much for retirement in those early years, oftentimes you're gonna be missing out on free money that match from your employer. You're losing out on free money that's helping you save for your future. And uh, if you do that for too many (laughs) many years, that's gonna have detrimental long-term effects
1: too. Yeah, you're missing out on that multiplier, man.
0: Yeah, all right, let's talk about politics here for a second, Matt. It is something we try to stay away from as much as possible on this show. There are certainly just political maneuvers that we have to cover that impact our finances. But uh, midterm elections are, are right around the corner. We thought it might be a good time to mention that it's important to keep your politics separate from how you handle your money. Uh, Barry Ritholtz, we really like his blog. He wrote this week about the Y'all ETF, which, by the way, why does this got to be associated with the best word in the, in the world? <laughs> Us Southerners, we use the word y'all, understandably so, because it's the best way to address a group of people. But this Y'all ETF just launched, which, and it's attempting to, to screen out more left-leaning companies investing in businesses that align with more conservative beliefs Well, well here's the question what sort of fee do they charge for you to be able to invest according to your political beliefs 65 basis points which is pretty high. We've not had great things. Point six five percent Yeah. Yeah, that's that's expensive. It's a lot. That's a lot. That's way more than our favorite funds that we discuss all the time here on the show. We've not had great things to say about ESG funds either, which are pushing people kind of in the other direction. But it's our belief that your politics should influence who you vote for and what causes you give to. But it shouldn't have an influence on how you invest your money. We would say put on the political blindfold and invest in index funds in a world that's kind of supercharged by politics, Matt, this is one place where we should draw a line in the sand. Totally,
1: yeah, and I'm with you as far as it's just an over, over generalization to say that anybody who uses the word "y'all" is going to be like, "Oh yeah, this is totally something <laughs> <Right>. I want to <laughs> invest it." Like, as someone who is born and raised in Georgia, I have so many friends who would be offended were somebody to assume that they are some sort of ultra right leaning like Trump supporter. Yeah, you know, <laughs> no, the, and, and Georgia is kind of one of those purple states. We're yeah. somewhere right yep. in the middle in a whole lot of ways, and so use this as it, it, it offends me because, like you, I, I, we use y'all a, a decent bit. Quite a bit. And so, so on, on a related note, it's tough to watch companies trying to cash in on this polarization that's happening in the country uh, because they are only increasing the divide between the two parties. And the journal, they, they actually had an article about how an anti-woke bank appears to be biting the dust. Uh, this bank was called it's even cringe to just even say it, man, but it was called glorify FI, uh, like financially independent or finance. Uh, but this was an attempt to target a right leaning audience to transfer basically all, all of their banking dollars their way in an effort to supposedly align their banking relationships with their values. But as the journal documents, it's not doing so well. Investors are, are pulling out and it, it went bankrupt in a few short months. The reason we we, we share this, uh, and we're touching on these stories is because we think the moral here is that it's better to not care about the political leanings like of the CEO of, of every single company that you do business with. If you were to try to do that, it's going to, honestly, it's going to become too exhausting. Instead, we want you to prioritize the interest rate, first of all, but then look to some of the other softer you know things to consider when it comes to a bank like the customer service, the, the user interface, some of the other offerings that they are making available to their customers. Just bottom line, attempting to align every money decision with your political leanings, we think that that's a, a fool's errand.
0: Yeah, so hopefully we're able to touch on politics without getting too political. It's just sort of a neutral way. Again, we're politicizing everything, it feels like, around us in this country. The more we do it, the more toxic the discussion gets, the discourse gets, and we would like to see politics taken out of some of these things, and yet it feels like every area of our lives, including our money, people are trying to say, oh, they're trying to woo you with their political stance to come over and invest or bank there, when the reality is it might not be best for your personal finances, it might not be best for your savings and investments, and typically it's not. All right, last story, Matt. Let's talk about streaming for just a second. You you, you and I, we've been hearing rumors about an ad-supported tier of netflix coming soon well they announced the details just yesterday it's gonna be free right (laughs) (laughs) that would be nice but no basically uh it's it's gonna cost 6.99 a month and you can expect to sit through roughly five minutes of ads an hour to be able to keep those those extra couple bucks in your pocket i think it's it's three dollars less than the other basic tier that's that's without ads so the question is is it worth it to save that extra money in order to be forced to sit through ads before and during your favorite shows we would say that's really up to you, but I'm, I'm so glad. a personal glad. decision. It just, is. Just like the politics thing we just talked about. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> but some folks are going to be thrilled to save three bucks a month. Other people are sure. like, there's no way. I hate ads. I'm not going to do it. But at least folks have the option now. I, like, yep. that, I like that you can choose which one you want because I know ads can be annoying, but they
1: also allow us to get a whole lot of content that we love for free for or free. for less money. Oh yeah, absolutely. So for you, are you going gonna to be willing to save a few bucks and just zone out when the ads come on? If uh, if you're forced to watch a Tide commercial or something, <laughs>
0: I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not. I'm not sure yet. I have to think about it. I'm, my guess is I'll probably stick with the. Uh, I, although I'm
1: I'm not really I'm not a Netflix subscriber right now, so I don't have to make that decision. Same same here. I am not either. But when the time comes, I do not think I would, I'm going to be willing to. And... Because it depends on how it is that they implement the commercials, right? Because back in the day when you're sitting there watching a TV show, like a lot of times they would, they would uh, format the shows to where there is a spot for a natural break. Uh, but if you're sitting there watching a movie and like you said, five ads uh, for, you know, within an hour's yeah. worth of content, that sounds terrible, man. Like imagine watching a two hour movie and being forced to sit through 10 ads. That sounds like the worst night of my life. (laughs) Like, it makes me think of uh, some of the free services, uh, like Pluto TV or whatever, like Crackle. And like, I'm sitting there with the kids. We're watching Harry Potter. And then all of a sudden an ad pops up for like Six Flags or something like that. It just, it kind of like ruins the scene and they're not strategically placed. Like maybe it's in between scenes, but it just kills the, like kills the vibe, kills the mood a little bit. Whereas with TV shows, in particular, if it's like a, sitcom. I don't think I would mind as much if there was a, an ad that popped up. But if we're talking about movies, no way. Like, would you pay less to go to watch a movie in a, in a movie theater and you're just sitting there and all of a sudden like an ad pops up? Depends how much because yeah, <laughs> th- movies are at the theater are really expensive. I haven't gone in a couple of years because yeah. of it, but it just sounds terrible. I'm sure any film critic or buff, anybody who's wrote, like real big into movies would would also think that this is a terrible idea. Yeah, probably.
0: But yeah, for uh, different reasons. For a lot but. of people, though, they're going to be into it. And Netflix thinks they're going to make a lot of money doing this. And I'm just glad that people have. Again, uh, yep. the option. I love so, it. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. For folks who want
1: show notes, you can head to our website, catch them there at howtomoney.com. That's right. And if you have not yet signed up for the How to Money newsletter, you need to do that. Head over to howtomoney.com forward slash newsletter. Sign up. It'll show up in your inbox every Tuesday morning. And it's going to be encouraging. It's going to be helpful. Uh, and it's like they're chock full of practical things, practical steps that you can take that are going to allow you to get ahead with your money. And not to mention, we would appreciate it were you to do that. Joel, that's going to be it for this Friday flight. We'll see you back here on Monday. We've got a fresh Ask How to Money episode for you. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out.
2: 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money & Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, But as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast. This season will be even more revealing and more personal, with more entrepreneurs, more live events, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Encore, Jane, about creating a billion-dollar startup. Walter Isaacson, about the geniuses who change the world. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,